Welcome to Stories of Rune Terra. My name is Guy Black, or Ravenhood on the interwebs, and I'm just a humble storyteller here to draw you into the vast world of Rune Terra by Riot Games. The Riot Games community has crafted an incredible universe where the forecast is a bloomin' centaur. Each week, we jump into the Riot Games universe and narrate something from the world of Runeterra off of the Riot Games universe site. Think of this as an audiobook of League stories and lore, and I know I said week, and it usually is week, but it's been a wild two months. This week's fan request is a double feature, Janna, the Storm's Fury, and Lilia, the Bashful Bloom. And I guess I have to do both my impressions now. Do not fear the winds of change. They will always be at your back. When the humans bloom, it's so beautiful. I can help them. Maybe. Maybe. Perhaps. Possibly. I'm not sure. So sorry, friends, for being a bit sporadic the last couple weeks. I'm a teacher and father of two young'uns, a three-year-old and, well, now a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and it's it's a wild life. So um, with May being the month here and here in the United States, the school year coming to an end, I just wanted to announce to you guys that I'll be taking a uh, break to set up for a more consistent season. And we will be returning to our regular programming after this week's episode at the first week of June. So the first episode from our hiatus till the end of the school year will be on the 3rd of June. So we'll return with regular uh, scheduled episodes after our little hiatus to close out the year again on the 3rd of June. In the meantime, catch up. There's a lot of other great League of Legends lore uh, podcasters out there. There's um, League of Legends Audiobook, I believe is their name. And then we've got League of Loreheads. They're also great. Let them know that I sent you over. I've enjoyed the conversations that I've heard from them. Or you could go through and maybe trove and find some stories that you would like me to read when I return. For all of you guys that have stuck with me through this, I appreciate it so much. You're a delight. And I look forward to picking this back up more regularly when my life isn't an absolute bloody insane mess of madness. Again, we'll be returning June 3rd. Thanks again, and let's jump into our stories with our fan requests this week, Janna and Lilia. And now with Janna, the Storm's Fury. An ancient and mysterious wind spirit, Janna has come to protect the dispossessed of Zaun, while her presence is most often felt as a soothing breathe or a ferocious tempest, she can also manifest in corporeal form as an ethereal figure, comforting the downtrodden. Over the eons, Janna has witnessed the rise and fall of civilizations. Through it all, she remains steadfast as a beacon of hope to those in need. Since ancient times, there have been those who prayed to the winds, from sailors seeking good fortune to the downtrodden calling on winds of change. Mortals have placed their hope in the tempests and gales that sweep across Runeterra. Surprisingly, the wind sometimes would seem to answer, 
Seafarers might spot a bright blue bird just before a healthy tailwind billowed their sails. Others could swear they'd heard a whistling in the air right before a storm, as if to warn them of its approach. As word of these omens spread, sightings of the bird grew more common. Some even swore they had seen the bird transform into a woman. With tapered ears and flowing hair, this mysterious maiden was said to float above the water and direct the wind with a flick of her staff. The faithful called this wind spirit Jan Arem, an ancient Shuriman word meaning guardian, for she always seemed to appear in moments of great need. As time went on, she came to be known more simply as Jana. Her name spread across the Shuriman continent's coasts, and the seafaring people of Oshravazan were her most fervent believers. They depended on calm seas for the trade ships that traveled through their city's port. Statues and shrines were raised in gratitude for Jana's benevolence. After the Shuriman Empire enveloped the city, these displays of devotion continued for a time. When the emperor issued decrees suppressing false idols, Jana's statues were torn down. Yet, despite the growing worship of the ascended god warriors, many still offered quiet prayers to Jana for what could god warriors do to protect ships from storms. These mortals often wore amulets with the image of a blue bird, smaller, more personal tokens in Jana's honor. Through all of this, Jana continued to aid the vulnerable who called upon her. In a region rife with upheaval, she remained constant. Those with an eye towards history might appreciate the irony of winds of change being the only thing that did not. After the great empire fell, once verdant lands became a desert as the remaining ascended brought war and chaos, yet Jana shielded the city, now known as Zaun, from the turmoil. Over the centuries, Jana watched as Zahn's ambitions grew. While the city was still a robust trade port, its denizens aspired for more. They dreamed of cutting a canal through the isthmus on which they lived, opening a path that would unite the seas surrounding Valoran and Shurima. The city poured great effort, wealth, and time into the construction. Prayers to Jana waned as mortal dreams focused on mortal machinations. However, the canal's excavation made great portions of Zaun unstable. On one cataclysmic day, entire districts on the river Pilt collapsed below the western sea level, and thousands suddenly found themselves fighting for their lives against the clashing currents. As these unfortunate souls faced their doom, they prayed for salvation. They called out the name of their ancient protector, Jana. Though these mortals had seemingly forgotten her until now, Jana did not hesitate to help them. An immense pale gale swept over the city as she took corporeal form. Impossible walls of air held flooding waters at bay as people fled the drowned ruins of their homes. Ferocious gusts of wind cut through the suffocating smoke from fires caused by the destruction. Yet, while she saved many, thousands still perished that day. But all who survived witnessed Jana's benevolence. Never again would the city's people forget their savior. To this day, through the rise of Piltover and the ongoing struggles of modern Zaun, Jana's faithful wear blue bird medallions and show reverence to the winds, 
and through it all, Janna stands steadfast by the humble and the meek. Zonites all know that whether they fight for breath amid the toxic clouds of the Zon Grey, stand against the brutality of violent Kimbarans, or fend off other threats, Janna will not abandon them. And Jana's story is entitled Deep Breath, written by Anthony Birch. They think Zorn's where the losers live. They won't admit it, of course. They'll smile through their teeth and pat us on the back and tell us that Piltover will be, would be nowhere without Zorn. Our hard workers, our bustling trade, our chemtech that everybody in Piltover pretends they don't buy, except they constantly do. Zorn is a vital part of Piltover's culture, they say. All lies, obviously. They think Zorn is where the idiots go. People too stupid to make it up in Piltover's golden towers. People like me. I spent months dealing shimmer so I could afford to apply for Clan Holleran's apprenticeship. I studied every crusty, dog-eared book I could find on gearwork machinery. I built a prototype gear brace for people with broken or arthritic wrists that increased their mobility. I did everything I could have done to earn an apprenticeship in Piltover. I even made it to the final stage of the vetting process, a face-to-face -face meeting with Boswell Holleran himself. They said it was a formality, just a way to welcome me to the family. He entered the room, looked down at my gray-stained clothes and laughed at a strangled, joyless laugh, and he said, Sorry, my boy, we don't take some breaths here. He never even sat down. So now I'm back here, in Zorn, one more idiot. The gray rolls through the streets, welcoming me back. Most days it's thin enough so that you can breathe deep without coughing up something wet. Today, though, is what we call a gray out. You choke with every breath. Your chest feels tight. Can't see much past your fingertips. I want to run. And I know there's nowhere to run, too. The gray feels like it's closing in on me and it's crushing me, smothering me. These are the times I pray to Jana. Not everybody in Zorn believes she's real, but my mother always had faith. She told me a bluebird have it outside a window on the day of my birth. And she knew. She knew. It was Jana telling her it'd be fine. And I was going to be fine. She was wrong, of course. I wasn't fine in the end. A couple of years ago, she, my mother, died while sump scrapping, and I had to raise myself with the few gears she left me. Then, the usual. Couldn't make friends. Got beaten up a lot. Boy, the boy that I loved, didn't love me back. Tried to study. Tried to think my way up to Piltover. Couldn't. Figured Jana had forgotten all about me. But I still keep the pendant my mother gave me. A wooden engraving depicting the blue boy she saw. Just in case of moments like these. So I sit on the wet ground because I don't care enough to find a bench. And I take out the blue boy pendant and I always keep tucked in my shirt. And I talk to Jana. Not loud, of course. I don't need people thinking I'm some kind of Kimburn freak. But still, I don't, you know, I talk to her. I don't ask her for anything. I just tell her about my day. And the day before that, and how scared I am that I'll never become anything worthwhile. And that I'll die down here, knee-deep in the sump with nothing to show for it, just like my mother. And that sometimes I just want to run away somewhere I can breathe, 
stop being so frightened and not feel like crying all the time and how I hate myself for feeling like I want to cry because I have it so much easier than some other people and how sometimes I think about throwing myself into the chem pools at the sump just throwing myself in with my mother where I'd let myself sink to the bottom and my lungs would fill with fluid because then it'd be over at least I tell Jenna I hope she's okay I hope she's happy wherever she is that's when I feel the breeze caress my cheek just like a light flutter but it's there soon I can feel it blow hair across my face the wind whistles loud and fast and soon it's whipping my coat in the air and I feel as though I'm at the center of a maelstrom you know like the gray swirls before me pushed up by a breeze that seems to flow from everywhere at once the fog slowly dissipates and I can see other passerby on the intrasoul level watching it float by the wind stops the gray clears and I can breathe not just small cautious gaps but deep breaths that fill my lungs with cold fresh air no longer veiled in gray the sun shines past the towers of Piltover into Zorn itself. I can see the Piltovens above peering down at us without the gray cloud in their view. They can see us from their lofty bridges and balconies. I don't think they like it very much. Nobody wants to be reminded they live above a slum. I see a few scowls. That's when I see him again. Boswell Hollerin holding a sweet cake in his hand, looking down at me again, an expression of disgust on his face, just like before. I'm so busy staring at his contemptuous face that I don't notice the presence behind me until her hand's on my shoulder. It's okay, she says, and I know without turning who it is. She squeezes my shoulder and then kneels and crosses her arms in front of my chest, pulling me into a hug. It's going to be okay, she says. Strands of her hair fall onto my shoulders and she smells like the air after a long rain. I know it might not be okay now. You might not be okay for a while and that's fine, but someday, without knowing exactly when or why or how it happened, you'll feel happy, she says. My face is warm and wet and I don't know how or when I started crying, but it's a relief, like the clouds are clearing. And I hold her arms and she holds me, just like telling me over and over and over and over again, it's okay, that she's here, that things will be better. I don't know how long she holds me, but soon I see everybody on Zahn's intrasoul in the balconies of Piltover above me staring. And before I can say anything, she says, no, no, don't, don't think about them. Hey, just take care of yourself. Will you do that for me? I try to speak, but instead I just nod. Thank you. She says, and she kisses my wet cheek and gives me one last quick squeeze. She rises and glides past me, and for the first time I see her entirety. A tall, ethereal figure that I would have assumed was from my imagination if she hadn't just touched me. I notice her long, pointed ears, feet that don't touch the ground, her hair flowing in the wind, even right now, when there isn't any. 
eyes so blue I could feel a little cold just by looking at her. But then she smiles, winks, and says, You'll want to watch this next part. There's a massive gust of wind, so fast and so sharp I have to cover my eyes. And when I open them again, she's gone. But the wind is still blowing, and it blows up towards Piltover and its gawking citizens. And it whistles as it picks up speed and strength, and the Pilties run for cover, but it's too late. The breeze hits them full force, sending their frocks sailing and mussing their hair. Boswell hollering shrieks in terror as the wind launches him off the balcony. It seems as if he's about to plummet towards certain death, but... Another gust of wind shoots him up towards him and his descent slows significantly as if the wind is guiding him down. You wouldn't know to look at him though. <laughs> Even though he's fallen with all the velocity of a tumbling leaf, he screams the whole way down. Very high-pitched, very undignified. His clothes flap upward, smacking him in the face as he descends, whether he's till he's hovering just a few inches above a puddle. Aye, he begins before the wind disappears altogether and he plops ass first into the puddle, ruining what I assume is a very expensive ensemble. <laughs> he yelps in a mixture of surprise, pain, irritation, splashing around like an angry child. He tries to get up on his feet only to slip back down and fall all over again. <laughs> if I'm being completely honest, he looks like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and I just <laughs> and I just can't stop laughing thanks again for everybody that's written in and requested a bunch of these champs for me to read what uh, we're going to play now is uh, our next champion request which is Lilia Intensely shy, the fae fawn Lilia skittishly wanders Ionia's forests, hiding just out of sight of mortals, whose mysterious natures have long captivated but intimidated her. Lilia hopes to discover why their dreams no longer reach the ancient dreaming tree. She now travels Ionia with a magical branch in hand in an effort to find people's unrealized dreams— only then can Lilia herself bloom and help others untangle their fears to help find the sparkle within. In Ionia, magic is woven into the land. Forests spread vibrantly, and trees often boast nearly as many colors as leaves, touched by the wonders of the spirit realm. But there is one forest, hidden away, that draws on a different kind of magic. A garden with a tree at its heart that gathers humanity's dreams in its blooms. The dreaming tree grew from a seed of the god willow, which towered over the ancient grove of Omikayalan, cast loose when the god willow was tragically felled. The seed took root in what came to be known as the Garden of Forgetting. Nurtured by the green father Ivern, as many of the descendants of Omikayalan were, the dreaming tree spiraled up, spreading the magic of humanity's desires each time the dream-laden buds bloomed. Lilia was born when one of the tree's own dreams was captured in a bud that fell to the ground before it could bloom, something that had never happened before. 
Sprouting into an awkward fawn creature with the flower bud still on her head, Lilia's only company was her mother tree, and the dreams that drifted to the garden each night. Lilia helped tend the buds and learned about humanity through them. Enchanted by the people and the places she glimpsed, she spent every waking moment experiencing a swirl of emotions and desires that mortals could only see when they closed their eyes. In caring for the dreams, Lilia also cared for the dreamers. She came to consider each of them a new friend, wanting nothing more than to one day greet the people who imagined such wonders. Lilia wanted it so badly that her own desires eventually gathered in a bud on the tree. But when Lilia finally did meet humans, it wasn't like remembering a familiar dream. It was more like waking up. Something was happening in the world outside Lilia's forest. War blazed like a fire through the land, and in time fewer dreams began to reach the garden. The tree itself grew sick and became infected with burls, writhing tangles in its trunk which oozed darkness. Lilia did her best to nurture her mother tree and the dreams that remained in its buds, but it was not long before the garden became so weak that the violence of the world spilled in. One night, warriors entered the forest and chased a lone figure all the way to the dreaming tree. With a single errant blade slash, the branch containing Lilia's unrealized dream came thudding to the ground. Lilia panicked and forced them all to sleep, shocked at the difference between the mortals she thought she knew and the ones she had found. They were so afraid, more tangled and sparkle. They were like the burls. But as the warriors slept and Lilia wept, a dream emerged from the lone figure the others had been chasing. Weakly, it floated toward the broken branch on the ground and moved up into the bough's bud. Lilia picked it up. She could feel the dream as it whispered to it and soothed it. It grew even brighter, and so did she. The bud upon her head unfurled and magic swirled around like sparkling pollen. In that moment, swept up in possibility and wonder, Lilia herself bloomed until, with a sneeze, she sent the magic curling into the surrounding forest. The humans awoke one by one, unable to remember what had brought them to the forest or what they had done. None noticed the timid fawn behind the tree. With relief, Lilia watched the humans go, still seeing only confusing tangles, but knowing now that there was still a sparkle beneath it all. And if their dreams wouldn't come to the tree, she would have to bring the tree to them. Taking up her branch, Lilia left the garden and entered the world of humans, a world she had always wanted to know, but one that frightened her now more than anything. It was so unlike what she understood. Hiding just out of sight, Lilia now helps people's dreams be born, drawn forward by glimpses of who they could be and what may be trapped beneath their tangles. By helping humans realize their deepest wishes, Lilia realizes her own, the bud on her head blooming as she is filled up with joy. Though darkness may be encroaching on Ionia once more, it is but a mask, and beneath it lies the familiar sparkle of hope. Only by braving the world and braving herself can Lilia hope to untangle its burls.
And now for Lilia's story, The Garden of Dreaming, by David Slagle. The child slowly makes her way into the forest. Oh, and sometimes beneath the forest, as the canopy of leaves weaves a green blanket against the clouds. Oh, and sometimes over the forest when there are roots. Don't trip, little girl, don't trip. And now, and now she's going through it toward me. Oop! I stand in the shadows beneath the path leading away from the girl's village where countless humans have gathered. The small bud on my head peeks out from behind a bush. My hooves dig nervous furrows in the ground, and I hug the branch from my mother tree rightly and tightly to my chest, comforted by the familiar swirling feeling of the bark. It's safe here in the trees, or maybe a few more steps behind them. Just, just a few more. Ah, with even so many humans in the village filling the hillside with life, the girl is alone. I hold my branch tighter, reminding myself what I have to do. It's time to move forward, Lilia. Just one step. You can do this. Mother Tree is sick and she needs the girl's dream. I take the step. Or at least my... Ah, at least my hoof shifts a little. Oh, that didn't go very far. Okay, Lilia, another one. This time I lift one shaky hoof up and... Before I can get too afraid, I slam it back down. Ooh. <laughs> Oopsie, that was backward. Ah... <sighs> The girl stops to sit beneath the tree not far from where I'm watching, just close enough that I can hear her crying softly into rag doll cradled in her arms. There's no one to wipe away her tears, but she's not entirely alone. Beneath everything, vibrating with potential in me branch, I can feel it. Her dream. The bud dangling from the tip of the bough shutters like a radiant life now, and it senses the child in her dream, just like the small flower on my head. And the glow and bud branch are just also from the mother tree, drawn to dreams, just as much as the slumbering magic is drawn to them. Glittering pollen drifts from beneath its petals, and the shadows around me recede, fleeing the light before I can. Ah, my hoof, my hoof is showing. <coughs> I sprawl and contort all four of my legs just to fit the shrinking shadow, wobbling as my balance threatens to give. The glimmering bud swings so wildly as the bow sways with me, casting clouds of dust-like pollen that drift toward the girl through the leaves. And then, as the shadows move again, I stumble into the clearing where she awaits. All I can do is peer at her from behind me branch, too afraid to blink. She doesn't see me. She presses her face into the doll, hiding her tears. Her sobs turn into whimpers, and her whimpers into sighs. The pollen from the bud gradually settles around her, twinkling as the girl's eyes slowly flutter closed. She slumps against the tree, the doll sliding from her grasp. I'm still afraid to move. Something twirls out from the bow's bud and dances above my head. It's my old friend, a little dream that's travelled with me since I first left Mother Tree's mystical garden. As if sensing the other dream still snuggled inside the girl, my glittering friend dances through the air toward her. Phew! That was a close one, I say as the dream flits back and forth. 
It skims above the girl and leaves a trail of sparkles that tickle her skin until she smacks her lips and winks her nose. <laughs> she snorts so loudly I leap again, landing with a blush. I touch the petals of the small white bud on my head, wondering if they're still flushing as red as my cheeks. And the child remains fast asleep. Wait, why, why isn't her dream coming out? My friend continues to spin around the girl trying to summon the other dream, but my eyes are drawn to the doll on the ground instead. The girl's hand hanging as if she's still reaching for it and her fingers squeezing tight. Before I left the garden, the place that was my home, I used to think the dreams were the things people wanted most every time they closed their eyes. But but now I see that dreams, they, that the things they want, that they reach for and they hold on to, only make them sad. The thing that I wanted most, which was to meet the dreamers, hurt Mother Tree. What? What if dreams aren't the things we want? I put down my branch. This time you can do it, Lilia. Just close your eyes, like you're sleeping, stumbling forward. I... I kneel beside the girl, and I take up her doll. What if dreams are the things... What if dreams are the things we need? I start to hand the doll back to the girl, wary of getting this close, even to such a small human. Instinctively, she rolls over as she feels it against her chest, sitting up to pull the doll into a hug. Her tiny arms are just long enough to wrap around me as well. As she hugs the doll, she pulls me in closer and closer, and in that moment, we both find what we need to bloom. The girl's dream finally emerges in a luminous swirl, spiralling and dancing alongside my old friend, and filling the forest with so much wonder that I can feel it all the way down to my hooves. Do I want to prance? Like a colour that has no name, each dream is so hard to describe. Is this dream the girl's sister wrapping her up in her arms as though the sisters have already said goodbye? Is it the doll she pretends is her sister before she puts on armour and left everything else behind? Or are these the things that the child grasped too hard while hugging her doll? And the dream is something, something deeper, something truer. You'll miss your sister, don't you? I whisper into her ear. You need her love. Giving her that love, seeing it and feeling it, is what I need too. I melt into the hug and send dream dust spiraling as the small bud on my head twirls open. Both dreams curl into the large bud on my branch. I'll whisper your dream to the tree. I'll remember, I tell the girl. I'm glad I got to meet you, I add. I hope her dream hears me too. I let go of the girl and lay her down gently. With her sighs, she releases all that's been trapping her dream. Like so many mortals, her sister may never come back to give her the love that she desires. That's why she needs to dream. That's why it'll always be there. And she'll never be alone, as long as she remembers to close her eyes. That's why dreams are magical. <laughs> And the little girl is too. I sneeze. <laughs> and the dust pollen in the bud on my head swirls away, carrying the magic of the dreams 
and the child's dream into the wind that blows towards Mother Tree. <laughs> Oopsie, I blush, realising I'm in the open, and before the feeling of wonder completely fades, I prance back into the forest. The girl opened her eyes with a well-rested yawn, the sun shining through the leaves just above her. She's surprised to find herself in the forest and drops her doll in shock. Then slowly, she remembers what it means to her, who gave it to her, and picks it back up. She holds the doll tight and starts to run through the clearing. Oh, ma! Oh, ma! Has sister returned? She cries to her grandmother. I just saw her! I saw her! <laughs> the girl's small outline disappears. But into her wake, following the path where she ran, dream blossoms sprout from sparkling pollen. Perhaps when the child returns, she will pick up one of these flowers and know it in her heart, though it can't be held, that the love of her sister will always bloom. was a very encouraging pair of stories to kind of close out this season again thanks again for everybody that's hung tight with me through the what is a bit of a wild couple last weeks and um i'll see you back again on june 3rd in the meantime find your little blue bird and remember that there is always hope in the blossoms of dreams that can emerge from the stories that you read and the people that walk beside you and love you in your life. I'll catch you at the end of the month with a new summer and new life on June 3rd here on Stories of Runeterra. Catch you on the flip side.